Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So many times we come to church and we know the routine. We may not know the exact hymns or the exact readings, but we, we know what to expect. But every now and again, the unexpected happens. At least that was the case right here at St. Paul's on a Saturday night service in November of 2017 for one little boy. See, this little boy was just a kindergartner. And that Saturday was the very first time I ever preached here at St. Paul's. And that little boy knew me. He was in my wife's afternoon kindergarten class. He had seen me come and read books to his class, bring my wife a coffee or a tea in the afternoon, and even come to lunch and play at recess. But he had never seen me do anything here. And I can still remember the look on his face when I stood up in this pulpit. His eyes got huge, his jaw dropped. He knew me, but he didn't know what to expect. And his curiosity and even his concern was so great that he didn't even wait till the end of the service to try and figure out what was going on. In fact, when he came up for communion and knelt at the rail, as soon as Pastor Thomas got out of earshot, he looked directly at me and said, Mr. Wade, what are you doing up here? Do they know you're not a pastor? In our gospel reading today from Luke chapter 4, we see quite the unexpected thing happen in a worship service. Quite an unexpected thing happened for people that actually knew Jesus. People who had great expectations for Jesus. See, Jesus returns home. He goes back to his hometown. And there was great expectation because reports had come out about what he was doing everywhere else. In fact, just before our reading begins in Luke 4, we read that after his temptation, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And reports about him went out throughout the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So you can imagine the buzz that was going through Nazareth when Jesus came home. You can imagine the buzz that was there on that Sabbath day. That so many people were there in attendance, people who had come to that synagogue week after week out of obligation, out of custom, or maybe because their parents dragged them there. But today they were there in curiosity. Today, today they were there because they were wondering, what is he going to do for us? And Jesus stands up. He gets the scroll of the prophet Isaiah turns to where our Old Testament reading begins in Isaiah 61 and says in that synagogue, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits back down. And we read that all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Everyone had the same question in their mind. What's he going to do next? And Jesus takes a moment and then he says, perhaps one of the greatest and yet shortest sermons in the history of the world. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they marvel 
and they wonder, and they speak well of him, speak well at the, the gracious words that he seems to be using. But see, these people did not just know Jesus, but Jesus knew these people. And he knew not only just where they may live in Nazareth, who their families are, what they like to do in their free time, but Jesus knew the hearts of these people. Because he knows their hearts, he knows what those compliments, what those wonders, what those kind words, those niceties really are. Unbelief. See, they want to see him do something. He's done it everywhere else. Certainly here in his hometown, he needs to do something as well for us, people thought. And so Jesus speaks to what's on everybody's mind, saying to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. We have heard what you did at Capernaum. Now do it here in your hometown as well. And they're all kind of nodding, saying, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we want to see, Jesus. But then he gives them a harsh dose of reality that they didn't want to hear. Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, but it wasn't an Israelite widow he was sent to. No, it was Zarephath. And there were many leopards, lepers, not leopards, lepers, in Israel in the days of Elisha. But it wasn't an Israelite leper that he was sent to cleanse. No, it was Naaman. Naaman the Syrian. And all of a sudden, the people pick up what Jesus is putting down. He's not going to do anything this day here, they realize. And they're filled with wrath. Who does he think he is getting to go and do things everywhere else where we would hear reports about him, but he's not going to do anything today for me? All those warm fuzzies, all that marveling, all that wondering goes away, and not only do things turn sour, but they even want to kill Jesus. We read that they carry him to a hill, to the edge of a cliff, and get ready to throw him off. But then Jesus does do a miracle. One, we don't exactly know what it looked like, but we read that in the midst of this angry crowd ready to throw him over a cliff, well, he just passes through them and goes on his way. It would be so easy to harp on those who were in the synagogue that day in Nazareth. So easy to make them into the bad guys. So easy, unless we forget that that's so often how we even treat God. So often we'd prefer that God fit my agenda first and foremost. So often we'd hope that God would work, God's plan would be in the way that I deem fit for it to go. And if it doesn't go the way I would like, well then, he must not be doing anything for me. He must not be there for me. Of course, Jesus does follow an agenda. Jesus does follow a plan, but it's not the plan or the agenda that the people in Nazareth had, had for him. And it's not the plan or agenda that we try to set for him. But rather, it's the plan, the agenda, the will 
of his heavenly Father. A plan, a will for him that would one day lead him to a different hill. A different hill where there were many people gathered angry at him, shouting, kill him, crucify him. And on that different hill, on Calvary, the full reality of God's plan of salvation for you and for me would be seen. A plan, a reality, a will that would not only be a miracle, but would reconcile us back with our Heavenly Father. See, it's true, Jesus would have made a lot more friends there in Nazareth that day if he would have just done things the way they wanted him to do it. And it is true, it's so easy for us to be tempted to get angry, frustrated at God when things don't seem to go according to the plan we've set for him. But the reality that we don't always remember is that God's plan is a far greater one than we could ever hope to create. God's plan is one that we don't deserve for us, and yet he freely brings to us in his Son. And it is in that plan that all other things exist. You heard me mention in the announcements earlier that it's National Lutheran Schools Week this week, a week where we celebrate the Lutheran schools not only in St. Louis but across the country. I'm a graduate of a Lutheran grade school and of a Lutheran high school, and certainly St. Paul's is no stranger to what it means to support a Lutheran school, that for 170 plus years it has been St. Paul's Lutheran Church and school here in De Pere. And so when we think of what it means to support or to celebrate a Lutheran school, so often we have all sorts of expectations in our mind. Academic awards, athletic achievements, wonderful things like choir and band, all sorts of extracurricular activities that the students get to do. But this year, the theme for National Lutheran Schools Week is our epistle lesson. The words from our epistle lesson, words that remind us that Christ is in all things. And it is in that theme we are reminded of the, the true mission, the greatest purpose the greatest agenda that this church, our school, and even our daily lives have. That it serves the plan of salvation that God set forth from before the foundations of the world. That in all that we do, truly, Christ is at the center of all things. And yes, there are boards and leaderships and even pastors that serve that mission, but that mission, that reality that we know in Jesus is the greatest gift of all. That far greater than any expectations we could set for ourselves, for our church, for our school, is the reality that here, in this place, in our lives, Christ is there for us. And Christ is there for us not just in our earthly life, but in our eternal life. That's why my favorite part of the epistle reading is those last few lines. We are reminded that when Christ is in all things, we have been given the great joy of a reconciliation with God. 
the great joy of knowing our heavenly Father, even though we have no right to know him. The great joy of knowing true peace. Peace that is only brought to us by the reality of what Jesus came to do. By the blood of his cross. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.